The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. Somehow, myself survived the night and entered with the dawn. It's that somehow that brings that note of surprise, brings that note of not quite sure how we did it, but still we got through. I think it's safe to say that the caterpillar, when he or she, the little one, enters the chrysalis, they don't know exactly what's going to come out the other side. All they know is that a change is going to come, and so they have to have enough trust to enter into the cocoon, and they have to be prepared to be surprised by the new life that will emerge on the other side. Reminds me of a story of my very, very good friend, one of my best friends in the world. His name is Pete. And Pete is just one of the most brilliant people I know. He can like sit with the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle and just bang that thing out in about a half hour to 45 minutes while I'm still struggling to get my little square in the upper right-hand corner. He's an education reporter, the senior higher education reporter for the Boston Globe. I give you all these things about his CV and how smart he is because actually what I want to talk about today is not the fact that his brilliance matters all that much. And in fact, one of the most important relationships that he has had in his entire life is with his sister Melissa, who is mentally retarded. She has maybe, for this guy who got 1550 or something absurd on his SATs, his favorite person in the world cannot really operate on a cognitive level beyond third or fourth grade. And she is absolutely beloved to him, and he is beloved to her. Incidentally, Melissa gave me one of my favorite quotes that I always like to use to keep myself humble. See, Pete has a number of friends like myself that are also clergy. And once Melissa was staying with him at their sort of group home in Boston after they all got out of graduate school, and one of the friends who's training to be a minister at that time said, Melissa, do you want to come to church with me? You want to come to church with me tomorrow? And she said, why would I want to listen to some butthead talk for five straight hours? Keeping the clergy humble is a really, really good job. That's about speaking truth to power. So I'm not going to be that kind of butthead who's going to speak for five hours, I promise you. But there was another time in their lives when Melissa spoke some words of wisdom that were really necessary and that Pete needed to hear. About five years ago, Pete and his longtime girlfriend decided to just do the perfect kind of engagement. They went to Paris. He asked her on bended knee to marry him on the banks of the Seine. And three weeks later, after they had returned to America, she had moved out. From the absolute heights to the depths. It was something about calling the new stage and the new state, the new life of their relationship marriage that dredged up all of her negative feelings from the dysfunctional family from which she came. And they just couldn't handle it. They could not go the distance, couldn't even make it past one month. And Melissa, because of some of the limitations and how she functions cognitively, Pete had to repeat this very sad news to her several times before it really sunk in. And he wrote this dialogue up one day, almost verbatim, of the time that he told her, and she really got it. I want to read it to you. Melissa, brightly, on the phone one day to Pete. How's Kathy? I can't wait to see you guys again. I love being there last time. Pete, glumly. Remember, Melissa, when I told you last week that Kathy and I aren't together anymore? You broke up. Melissa, quietly. 
Oh, Pete, yeah, I'm sad. And then silence. They weren't quite sure what to say to each other. Melissa, guess what? Pete, what? Melissa, brightly again, today mom took me to Wendy's and we had Frosties and guess what flavor I had? Pete. And he wrote this himself in the email that he sent to me. Faith in humanity being restored. What flavor was that? Chocolate. And it was delicious. Pete. I'm sure it was. I love what Melissa did right here. And I don't want to idealize the challenges that she faces in life. I don't want to sentimentalize her situation and the difficulty she's had to deal with growing up with some of her limitations. But I think that what she did here was absolutely so wise. She saw that one of the people she loved most in the world was in so much pain. And instead of trying to reason him out of it or ask all sorts of different questions, you know what she did? Just automatically, she thought of the happiest thing in the world that she could and she brought it directly to him. Chocolate Frosties from Wendy's. And it did restore Pete's faith in humanity. In the world, this wonderful little grace note, this wonderful little surprise. See, because all the color had gone out of Pete's life. And with this one very simple reminder, he knew that, you know, his pain was not going to be taken away immediately. But he was reminded enough by this surprise that this world in which we all live still can produce something as simply wonderful as chocolate-flavored Frosties. And he would be okay. This surprise absolutely worked in bringing him back into new life. He had not gotten what he wanted. He did not receive what he wished for. And yet he received something more. He received a reminder that life was worth living. And that there is reason enough to hope again, even after great disappointment. In true spiritual life, surprise plays an essential role. Now, sometimes we are surprised in the most unpleasant ways, and still we can learn. William Sloan Coffin, some of you might know that name. He was the chaplain at Yale University all throughout the era of the Vietnam War and served the Riverside Church in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Truly one of the great landmarks of American liberal Protestantism has been involved in every great change for social cause. And because he was so well known as truly one of the prophets of our age, young people were drawn to him. Young, idealistic, ambitious people with great dreams. Young, idealistic, ambitious people with great dreams who were very often disappointed all the time when things didn't turn out exactly in the way that they would have wished. And so, Reverend Coughlin found a way to sort of encourage them. He did it in this pithy fashion. After a number of these conversations, he recognized that what he needed to say was this to all these disillusioned, young, ambitious, bright, wonderful people. The only reason you are disillusioned is because you were illusioned in the first place. Is because you had illusions to begin with. What Reverend Coughlin was really saying, and yes, it was sort of a pithy, punny kind of thing. What he was encouraging folks to do, and I encourage you to do, is listen to the surprises that you don't seek. The surprises that come when your wishes are not fulfilled because you have the opportunity in that time to hear the voice of a spirit that is telling you something new that you did not know before at all. Even if things don't turn out the way you want, you still might find that you will get exactly what you need. 
Some of our greatest spiritual teachers bring us back to this point over and over and over again. I'm reminded of the great scene, probably the best scene in Malcolm X's autobiography. It's that moment when he moves from being Malcolm X to El Haj Malik El Shabazz. He is really, literally put out of the nation of Islam because he starts to question their really racist, black supremacist kinds of ideas. And he goes on Hajj, he goes on pilgrimage to Mecca. And if you've ever seen or heard or read any of the stories of what pilgrimage involves, you are stripped clean of all the stuff that normally marks you for who you are. It's not about wish fulfillment. It's about engaging with new life. And the thing that Malcolm X experienced and became El Haj Malik El Shabazz, literally named himself for the act of pilgrimage, is he was sitting this one day with thousands of other pilgrims and the greatest surprise of his life came upon him. He found that he was being clothed and sheltered and eating with, as he says, Muslims with the bluest of blue eyes and the fairest of fair skin and the blondest of blonde hair. This was a remarkable surprise to Malcolm X. He did not expect it. And yet it delivered him into the next phase of his life, a truer universalism, a true understanding of what he called brotherhood that we can now call a truer sense of community. He did not get what he wished for himself, but what he found was an even greater blessing, an even greater sense of belonging to this life. I think it's so important to remember this, remember the role of surprise in our religious life, because right now there seems to be something of a phenomenon in American spiritual life, that spirituality and religion is really about giving you the key to unlocking everything that you would want. Indeed, there are ministries all throughout America going on right now, and preachers preaching right now, telling you that if you subscribe to a particular kind of theology and engage in a particular kind of practice, I will promise you riches. That's not what we're about here at Wellsprings, not that we are against those things at all. But surprise has deeper things in store for us. I think it started about a decade ago. Any of you remember something called the Prayer of Jabez? It's a very, very minor, and by minor I mean two-sentence character in the Old Testament that sort of the Christian right wing focused on and say, if you pray, pray exactly the prayer that Jabez prayed in the scriptures, you will get exactly what you pray for. If you pray the prayer of Jabez for riches or a new job or a new relationship or a new love or a new life, you will get it. Hey, it's in the scripture. God promised it to you. I wouldn't steer you wrong. Now, there's also left-wing versions of this as well, progressive versions. Some of you know, raise your hand if you've heard about the secret. Heard about the secret? I think there's a basic truth in the secret that I got no problem with. It comes out of the basic understandings of what positive psychology teaches us, which is that if you have an upbeat view of life and you are willing to stay steadfast with things and you are willing to stay with a vision of who you can be, yes, you are more likely to grow and to succeed in this life. But the secret and the prayer of Jabez say something different. They say you have within you the absolute power to orient your wishes so that you will get exactly what you want. Now, I've got to say I find this really immature. And it also leads to what some of my Buddhist friends call karma abuse. Which is that if you are suffering, you must have done something to suffer and you deserve it. Karma abuse is, I think, one of those great misunderstandings of the way that we grow through this life. 
And I think whether it is the prayer of Jabez or whether it is the secret, and actually if you've seen the movie of the secret, there's one scene that really, really brings it home to me that just really says, hey, this isn't real mature spirituality that we're talking about. There's a child who envisions and really wishes for, wishes for a beautiful red gleaming bike. And what do you know? Bang, in the next scene he has it. That to me is like worshiping a Santa Claus God. There's a deeper spirituality than that we're all called toward. And I think it has this basic confusion, which is that what are we really searching for in our spiritual growth? Are we searching to enlarge our personal power or are we searching to enlarge our hearts, our capacity to love, our capacity to be loved? See, because true religion is not about getting everything that you want. But true religion resides in coming to be who you are and loving who you are and recognizing that in your very essence you are lovable as well. This is what we call here at Wellsprings and our understanding of divine living. It is to live fully and love generously and to be who you are called to be. That is not all the time always about getting what you want, but it is about living a full and abundant life. See, when you live fully, when we live in this way, I can guarantee you that you will always be surprised. You will not live life by rote anymore. What has happened to you in the past will not necessarily be what will happen to you in the future. And life will open up into a vista of blessings that you have never understood before. But first, we have to have the capacity to recognize that we are going to be surprised. And sometimes those surprises are not always the most pleasant thing. See, because the opposite truth is that sometimes our gravest disappointments are because we insist. We insist in very childish, not childlike fashion, but childish fashion that if we wish for it, it has to come true. And this is the surest route to suffering, to staying entrenched in old patterns of being and not entering into new life. One of my favorite books about this topic is actually by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Great Divorce. And it's sort of his version of Dante's Divine Comedy, except sort of very middle-class English. It's a bus ride through heaven and hell that the author takes one afternoon. And the cool thing is that even though C.S. Lewis was a very orthodox Christian, excuse me, heaven and hell and his vision have nothing to do with what you believe about Jesus at all. Those who are in heaven, in his understanding, are those people who are able to accept new life. And those people who are in hell, which he calls the ghosts, cling so tightly to the life that they once knew. There's a really sad and poignant episode in which there is a mother who's one of the ghosts in hell. And she's not writhing in the flames or anything like that. She's just going through some really soulful torment. And a number of years ago, before she had died, she lost her most beloved son. And the thing is, the son, she can see him. The son is up there in heaven. He's up there in heaven and experiencing all the joys and all the delights. But she cannot let go of the fact that they are not together. And so what she wishes to do is for them to be reunited by bringing him back down into hell with her. Her love is so attached that she cannot let go. The great irony, as C.S. Lewis tells us, is that there is the perfect opportunity for her to be reunited with her son. Is that she can go to heaven too. If she can stop insisting that the love has to happen her way. Like the old Burger King, you know, uh, goal. Have it your way? Maybe that's okay for getting a burger. It's not the best way to live a spiritual life. See, the greatest devils for many of us, the greatest devils for many of us, are the angels that we once knew and blessed us fully that we couldn't let go of. 
couldn't let them exist in the past. Maybe it's the job you once have, it's the job you have no longer. Maybe it's the relationship you once have and the relationship you have no longer. Maybe it's the health you once had and no longer have. Some of those great angels can really be curses to us if we can't let them go and recognize that everything in life is transient. Our sources of blessings, though, to remain blessings, we have to recognize that what we love in this life, we do not get to keep. really want you to hear this. What we love in this life, we do not get to keep. It will remain a blessing, though, if we learn to hold it. Hold it and let it go when the time comes to let it go. Now, even though I have no real firm understanding of what heaven or hell is, or in fact, even if they exist, I have seen people existing in this state of hellishness. I remember when I did hospital chaplaincy a number of years ago, there was one woman and just my heart ached for her, ached for her because she had been married to this man, a very successful dentist for about 30 or 40 years and he had had a form of cancer that required very extensive chemotherapy and it had managed to reduce a lot of the cancer in his body. But at the same time, that chemotherapy, because chemotherapy, as many of you know, is a form of poison, it had really injured his heart and they had to stop the chemotherapy treatments. And so he was on the medical units And it was clear he was not going to get any better. And every day for about three weeks when I was doing that rotation, I would go into their room and she would so anxiously come up and clutch my hands and say, pray for his blessing, pastor, pray for his blessing, pray for his blessing. And after about a week of doing this, I thought what I was doing was actually causing them more harm and more damage because what she really needed to do was let go. She wasn't allowing him to die. She wasn't allowing him to enter into that next phase of his life, whatever mystery would come. And you could see the gulf that was growing between them. And it was so sad because they had been so in love for 30, 40 years. And you could see the gulf that was growing between her and her children because they wanted to have the conversation. They wanted to have the conversation about hospice and about saying goodbye. But she was not able to do so. The greatest angel she had known had become the source of her greatest curse. And at the same time, on the same floor, just a few doors down, I saw such an opposite kind of response to hardship and to someone not getting what they would have wished, but finding the surprise of the blessing still at that time of life. There was a mother who, I guess, is probably about as old then And I hope she still is living now, although there's no guarantee as old then as I am now, probably in her late 30s. And by the time I met her, she was completely bald. She had had, I think, three courses of chemotherapy for a cancer that had started in her abdomen. And as a result, she was very, very bloated. You could see when you walked into the room that she really was struggling because of this. And as I, day after day, spent time with her, what she wanted to pray about was not that she would get better, although she really, really hoped that. Because she had these two wonderful kids. These two wonderful kids. What had happened is that when she got sick, her husband, he got out of there. He abandoned her. But she still had these two wonderful children. And so we would meet and pray together and spend time together. And sometimes i got to tell you, she cried the most honest tears because of course what she wanted was more time She wanted more time to see her kids grow up. But I have to tell you that in those moments when the kids were in the room with us, she would envelop them 
on her lap, on this bloated lap, this expanse around her midsection. And it was almost like she was a mama kangaroo. And she was calling her little ruse home. So, so much this was like her pouch. And I have never witnessed, never in my entire life, witnessed a more fierce, tender love than this young mother had for her kids. Yes, she wanted more time, but she was accepting the blessings of the time that she had to share, recognizing that it was not in her control to get more time with them. See, I was the one who day after day prayed with her, who spent time with her, and she said, you know what, I really like you, even though I don't really know what a Unitarian Universalist is, because every time we come and we pray together, you don't tell me things that you can't guarantee for me. She was from a tradition in which it was all about just looking forward, it was all about just the world to come. Really what she reminded me of is Emerson's great recollection of the death and being by the bedside death vigil of his friend Thoreau. Emerson said of Thoreau, he never saw a person spend hours more fully, never saw a person so at peace, never saw a person not struggling so much, but engaged with where they were in life. It is said that one of Henry David Thoreau's more dogmatic aunts asked him very pointedly when he was on his deathbed preparing for the end of his life one day, have you made your peace with God? And Thoreau was facile enough still of mind to answer, I didn't know we'd ever quarreled. I didn't know we had ever quarreled. That is the kind of mature spirituality that is able to receive life for what it is, not wish it to be otherwise, and to, to be able to accept the blessings and the surprise of even those things that we never would have wanted for ourselves. This is really what that mom taught me about, what Emerson and Thoreau knew, that spiritual maturity comes not in how much we can get in this life, but exists in how much we can love. It exists in how large our hearts are. It exists in how much, how big, how wide can you spread your arms to engage with what is actually a part of your life. Not wish it away. Not pray to some Santa Claus God to say, I don't want to face this, but to say, please give me the strength to face the surprises that I have not chosen, but still allow me to receive the blessings. Raymond Carver is one of my favorite writers. Some of you might know him. He lived, unfortunately, that stereotypical kind of real, real tough, hard living, hard drinking, treating himself like absolute crap kind of writerly life until he woke up one day and he got himself together. But about a decade after that, he found out that he was dying. And instead of saying, well, I did all the right things for the last decade, why aren't I getting all the blessings right now? He penned this poem, which is probably my favorite verse that I've ever heard. It's called Late Fragment. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so. Yes, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To feel myself beloved upon this earth. What a greater blessing there can be upon our lives than to call ourselves beloved, even so. Even so, in the face of surprises that we might not have chosen, 
Even so, in the face of wishes that don't always come true. Even so. One of the things that I do, and I've shared this with you before, I want to share it with you again, that when I find myself in one of these moments of when I can feel something new coming on, when I can feel that the old caterpillar life isn't enough and the butterfly life is coming to be, I do this very, very simple meditation through which I stay grounded in the moment and don't rush off into what I had known because I want to remain open to what will be. I close my eyes and I take in a deep breath and I ask, what am I? And I breathe out with the words, don't know. What am I? Don't know. The surprises are still there. The new life is waiting within all of us to come. If we can learn to let go and hold, not clutch, but hold the blessings that are promised us in life. Because I believe that all of us live within a greater imagination that is not of our own choosing, but will still make our lives sacred and holy. There is a life open to all of us beyond our fears and even beyond our desires. The ancients have proclaimed it the voice of God or Buddha nature or the prophets foretold that new life was coming within us. Frankly, I don't care what they call it. Finally, I believe it is nameless, but it is experienced this as the ability to get beyond what we know to enter into that life that is promised to come. None of us can control it, but all of us and all of you can live within it. And so I wish for you all this morning the kind of surprise that reminds you that you are loved. The kind of surprise that reminds you to say, even at your moments of greatest disappointment, even so, say it with me, even so, say it with me, even so. Remember those words. They are a source of blessing. Remember those words. They are a source of new life within you. May your life be visited by the love that will always surprise you. Amen. May you live in blessing. Thanks for listening to this message from Wellsprings Congregation. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can reach us at wellspringsuu.org. Thank mm-hmm. you.